Listen, players. <laughs> You're listening to the Movement, Strength and Play podcast by the School of Calisthenics. Here are your hosts, Tim and Jacko. Well, we've got something a little bit different for you on this week's podcast, and we're really excited to get Sophia Ruan-Goucher on, who is an expert in understanding the toxicity, I've got that word out first time, Jacko, the toxicity and the potential source of toxins which we're exposed to on a daily basis that we might not be aware of, and there are some enlightening and interesting things to consider. Yeah, you've also got her, her surname, right? Goucher. Um, and she, she she's an like author, author of the... Touche, but Goucher. Uh, yeah, an author, um, A to Z of detoxing. She's done a lot of research um, into the effects of toxicity. She's got a very interesting story about how she actually got into it. It's obviously not been her life forever, and it's one of those one of those real genuine sort of organic stories. If we talk, we'll talk about organic later, organic stories where she was scratching her own it. So, you know, uh, I'll let her explain a little bit about that. But anytime I think when you come across somebody that's been as I say, scratch their own itch and then, you know, finding out something and then just feel um, compelled to share that with other people because of the, the profound effect that it can have on our on our health, our, our longevity and our happiness. And a little bit like Tim, how we got into calisthenics organically and wanted to share what we'd learned um, with people. I think there's a little bit of a similarity there. And if yeah. people did want to learn a little bit more calisthenics, where do they go? Well, I was going to say that was I had an itch and I got you to scratch it for me, which was our <laughs> journey into, uh, into calisthenics. Um, Very good. <laughs> it's like we, we did. Hey, we hadn't even planned this. Listeners, it's just, just that, that is off the cuff. Uh, if you want to find a little bit out a little bit more about calisthenics training, if you want to get into some specific training programs, if you just want to have a little bit more fun with your training, then we have got all of that packaged up on our online platform, what we call our virtual classroom. You can find all the details on our website, schoolofcalisthenics.com. If you want the fast track route, classroom.schoolofcalisthenics.com. We'll take you there. You can browse around. You get seven days free on our uh, membership packages. So if you like it, you can stay. If you don't like it, you, can, you don't have to. We're loosey-goosey. We, we just want to give you the best possible movement, strength, and play experience we can. And we hope that you find something there which tickles your fancy and scratches an itch at the same time. Always good to scratch that itch. Or sometimes good to just like... No, I won't do it. I was going to say something completely random and it's unnecessary because it's just extending the length of this intro, which I'm still currently doing. So to get me off this off-ramp, Timbo, roll that jingle. So, Sophia Rowan Goucher, welcome to the Movement, Strength and Play podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's our absolute pleasure. Um, and we've been taking some deep dives recently into like our and, and taking coming on this journey with our listeners around like what things are we doing now and how are we living, how are we training now, and how can that impact our our health, our wellness and longevity as we as we go older. And your specialism is in uh, toxicity and particularly in obviously like detoxing to stay away from those things um, and we're really excited to get into today but for people that are listening for the first time this might challenge some of the things that you have in your your day-to-day living and in your home and you, hopefully we're going to get some nice practical tips that people can take away but I know f- from your story you know having listened to your podcast myself that you were uh, you know you haven't always been doing this you you you, you know you changed your career um, after having a child, do you want to just give a bit of a context um, for people as to how did you get into uh, this area of, of toxicity and, and detoxing um, and why it's become such a, a huge passion for you and changed the direction of, of what you're doing? I'd be happy to. You're right. I grew up not at all interested in the environment. I'm ashamed to say, but that's the truth. And it really wasn't until I became a mom that I started to care So the reason I'm here today is actually because of a journey that started in 2007. I was living in New York City with my husband. I felt like I was at the height of my career because I saw smooth sailing towards my dream job of buying distressed debt for a great price, adding tons of value to the underlying asset, and then selling it at a great profit. So a completely different field. I was determined to both be a great mom 
and do and thrive at my dream job. And my first daughter was born in August 2007. And then one night stands out as the unraveling of that dream. Mm -hmm. It was soon after I returned to work after a three-month maternity leave. I was flipping through a book by a pediatrician, and I read that BPA, a hormone-disrupting chemical, are in some baby bottles. And nitrosamines, a cancer-causing chemical, is in some baby bottle nipples. This first experience of learning that I inadvertently posed risk to my infant because of what I bought was the first of many more. So these mm -hmm. kinds of experiences led me to study the chemicals, heavy metals, and electromagnetic fields from what I buy, own, and do over the next 13 years. And often I wondered, why me? <laughs> why can't someone else just tell me what I need to know? <laughs> yeah but I never found that resource. So I have been trying to be that resource for others. And learning about this has been unimaginably hard. I uh, often thought about quitting my research to have an easier life, but I couldn't. And when I think about how to explain why in just the, the time we have, and I ask what's the one aha moment that stands out among the hundreds the one aha moment relates to our body burden. Body burden is a term that refers to the level of chemicals in our body. And I was shocked to even learn that we had chemicals in our body. I never thought about it before. I was further shocked to later learn that the US Centers for Disease Control has been monitoring over 300 environmental chemicals that have been found in our bodies. And body burdens in North Americans tend to be at least 10 times higher than those found in Europeans. Women tend to have a higher burden than men. Children can have a higher burden than adults. But the one thing that fueled my hard work for years was this. In 2005, the American Red Cross collected and examined umbilical cord blood from 10 American newborns and they found 287 chemicals, and too many of them pose risks. And these chemicals are commonly found in fast food packaging, pesticides, and chemicals used on clothing and textiles. So because I was learning this when I had an infant and continued to learn more things like this when pregnant and nursing, my, my two children that came later, it just fueled my passion to learn everything I could to alter what I could change, which is really my purchasing decisions and some behavioral change at home to protect them and to pursue this path as a social venture. Because there's only so much I can do on my own. I've learned some of these chemicals will be on our planet for decades or centuries. And a lot of people don't realize that since World War II, over 84,000 chemicals have been introduced into American commerce. In, in the Euro European Union, as of the time of my first book's publishing, uh, A to Z of Detoxing, which was published in 2015, there was 143,000 chemicals registered with the European Union. In America, the U.S. Uh, Environmental Protection Agency has been able to require testing for just over 200 of them and regulate less than a dozen. Europe is much better, but still there are too many chemicals that we don't understand that are accumulating in our environment. So they're in our food supply, in our drinking water, but most importantly, they're in what we buy. And no matter how strong the government policies, individuals decide what they put into their bodies, on their bodies, and how they furnish and decorate their homes. So I think there's so much, this is an overlooked pillar of health, and there's so many simple things that people can do if they only knew. Yeah, well, this is and this is one of the reasons why I wanted to, yeah, to, to have you on to, to pose some of these questions and, and I guess just broaden our own understanding and the listeners' understanding of all the you know other things that might be able to we might be able to make changes to make ourselves uh, you know live live happier and, and longer and healthier lives. I've my first question, if I can, then is sort of a bit of a two parter in that um, there'll be some people 
that are might be a little bit if they're coming across this for the first time, you might be a little bit skeptical about what some of these chemicals are like or where some of these toxins may come from. Um, and so in terms of understanding um, the what's the research on some of these things, like you mentioned BPA as one example, I'm sure there's, there's plenty of other examples. But before going into that, that's what's the two parts, before going into that, what would be, just to whet people's appetite, what would be just some of the most common... Um, toxins that we have in our sort of day-to-day living that we wouldn't you know uh, me as a you know a non-toxic uh, researcher would uh, would commonly sort of not know that's there in the background and, and, and potentially causing me some negative impacts on my health so what what's some common ones and uh, and then just a little bit of like the understanding of the research for those people that are potentially a little bit skeptical when they first hear this So I guess what's challenging is that, at least in America, I'm not as familiar with outside the United States, but businesses, um, their formulas for their products, so their ingredients, they're often protected by this, this clause called confidential business information. So it's really hard for scientists and consumers to know what's in their products. The scientists have worked really hard and there are about a dozen chemicals known as POCs for persistent organic pollutants. And those are probably the most studied class of chemicals because worldwide there's been more collaboration on studying them. And there's a lot more detail in A to Z of detoxing on them. But I just want to point out, it is hard to know, but it Uh, A to Z of detoxing cites the science, the best science I could find. And so there's a wealth of information, but you'll, you'll realize that there are different different reactions to the data as, as we're noticing, even with COVID, right? Um, Some countries, they have a very precautionary proactive approach and others maybe have a reactionary approach and are more loose like in the United States. You know, some, that's a similar idea with the chemicals. So Europe in general has taken a precautionary approach and they've said, based on the science, we rather be safe than sorry. And, and mm-hmm. there are governments around the world, even some state governments in the United States, like in California, who have also taken a precautionary approach and said, we're gonna take extra measures to protect our most vulnerable, which are children, young children. So maybe like some some areas will say no Wi-Fi in elementary schools. Um, But I do wanna just pause and say something that might help soften the, how jarring this information can be. It took me many years to learn this and I really wish I knew this much earlier. Yeah. Just because you're exposed to something harmful doesn't mean that it will necessarily harm. For example, if you're exposed to a cancer-causing chemical, that doesn't necessarily cause cancer. It just increases your chances of developing cancer. Right. So while we have unique vulnerabilities, our bodies are generally brilliantly equipped to address them. And our toxic exposures is just one among various factors that influence our health. But it's an overlooked pillar of health, and integrating it into your life can really unleash the benefits from your other healthy living efforts. I think it's as important as um, eating healthy, sleeping well, exercising regularly, protecting your skin from this, you know, damaging rays of the sun. So it's in that context that I would like people to realize it's just one among many things that influences your health and well-being. And it is an overlooked pillar, but if you're super healthy about everything else, then that really offsets the toxic exposures. And I just think that learning more about this overlooked pillar of health can help you um, not only optimize the benefits of everything else, but um, you know, I, I think what helps is the health effects are categorized generally as um, 
like some contribute to cancer growth, some contribute to neurotoxicity, some can have adverse impacts on your immune system, some can undermine your sleep quality, some can uh, promote um, or pose risk to reproductive outcomes, uh, whether it's sperm damage or um, women, you know, it being on the female side or the actual baby that's developing inside. And I think if I were to focus on one class of chemicals that might create a lot more understanding for listeners is the class of chemicals that have been studying almost as vigorously as the POPs that I mentioned earlier, the persistent organic pollutants. But there are a class of chemicals known as endocrine disrupting chemicals. And scientists have found about a thousand so far. So far. But again, they're like in Europe, it's 143,000 that have been registered. Every country has its own track record of chemical production. And scientists can't keep up with studying all of this. But, um, but there are about 1,000 chemicals identified now as either causing endocrine disruption or potentially causing endocrine disruption. But it takes decades to really understand the impact on humans. Yeah. Uh, it can be faster to understand what's going on in wildlife, and there's a lot of data there. But if you, I mean, I needed a refresher on what our hormones do, but starting from in utero for the rest of our life, hormones guide the development of our biological foundation, our brain, our heart, our reproductive system, our respiratory system, and they continue to be integral to all our biological processes. So if you're training for a marathon, if you need to optimize recovery. The hormones are guiding and participating in all of these things. And so these endocrine disrupting chemicals are substances that can participate in that chemical messaging that our natural hormones do. So they can mimic some of our natural hormones, block some of the messages, or just like interfere and trigger higher or, or lower levels of some chemicals. So these are still actively being studied, but they're suspected of, or you know, sometimes some are proven to cause certain types, types of effects and others are still being studied, but generally speaking, they contribute to cancer, um, reproductive issues, obesity, uh, disruption with metabolism, really everything because it's your hormones. So I, I don't, I focus on the many easy things that people can reduce their exposures to that they won't miss because there's so much we can't control, but there's actually so much we can control. A lot of our exposures come from within our home. I was shocked to learn that Indoor air tends to be at least five times more polluted than outdoor air, even in the most industrialized cities. And that's an estimate by the US EPA. And when I realized that, I actually took, I mean, it was very upsetting at first, but over time as I thought, why is indoor air so polluted? I realized I actually have a lot of influence over my chronic exposures. Cause if you, if you just, if you sleep at home, that's at least a third of your life. In, a, in, a, in your home, which is an environment that you have some control over. Yeah. I'm gonna, this is really interesting, Sophia. I think you make a great point around the research around this, and it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because it's this is this sort of research takes a long time for people to, to or for the scientists really to gather a, a big body of knowledge and understanding, and there's so many things which can affect it over time. So it's, it's difficult research to do, but I think you make a, a great point in that there are things that we can do and take this more precautionary rather than a reactive measure. So I think this for, for people listening, if this is new to them or they've, they've had some um, exposure to it before, um, that yeah, to start to think about maybe this is just something we need to start to plan for. Um, and as you say, there's, there's some already some existing evidence which makes it sort of really uh, become a bit more of a, a, a very important health and wellness issue. I'm just going to, I, I want to dive into a little bit of the detail because people are sort of starting to probably sit here and go, right, we've talked about inside air and, and we've, you've mentioned about Wi-Fi and 
can we kick off with a few of the big hitters? So what are the, what are the things that which we really should be sort of thinking about, focusing on, and where are some of our easy wins? Um, because as you mentioned before, when it, if you're living healthy in lots of other ways, people have got to that point by sort of a steady progressive changes over, over time. So if people are interested, where do we begin with getting started on, on reducing some of the toxic um, sources that we're exposing ourselves to? Sure. I, I thought of six easy ones to help people get started. And one easy is good. <laughs> one is reading your product labels and avoiding fragrance. Generally, fragrance can contain up to 200 different ingredients, and many of them have been found to be toxic in a number of ways, whether it's neurotoxicity or reproductive toxicity, immune toxicity. It's just risky. Uh, in the United States, fragrance is really hard for people. Like it's, There's no transparency, so it's just a risky ingredient. And so just simply noticing more the things in your home. So like during your morning routine or evening routine, if you're in the shower, just start reading the product labels in your shampoo, your conditioner, your body wash, your soap, your lotions. And if you see fragrance, then do what I call the love test, which is ask yourself, do I love it or do I need it? Because a lot of times people don't even want to learn more because they feel threatened that something they love, like their favorite shampoo or their favorite perfume, will be, they'll feel like they need to give up things that they love. I promise you, there are so many things you won't miss. And so if you love certain products, keep them and just get rid of the things you don't mind getting rid of. It took me, I, I learned about fragrance when I had an infant and I spent, I, I went through everything in my home to get rid of fragrance. And I thought after six months, I, I got it all, but really over the next six months, I found more and I continued to find more. Like the more surprising things that had fragrance are the baby dolls that my children had or uh, garbage bags took me a long time, and it's actually hard for me to find fragrance-free garbage bags, but I don't. I rather skip the chemicals in my indoor air. So that's a high-impact filter, uh, meaning it just helps you edit out of your life things that are high-risk. Um, and then there are great resources if you want to learn to uh, replace the things you do love. But I would really start with focusing on, on editing out of your life the things that are risky. So some common products fragrance will be in besides personal care products and beauty products are candles, air fresheners, um, those standard cleaning products. So just start reading those product labels. And second, a high-impact tip is plastics tend to be risky. It's actually really complicated to figure out which plastics are safe. And BPA was a really well-known or is a well-known hormone-disrupting chemical that was found in many plastics. It's been widely used in uh, many things, including plastic food and beverage containers and canned foods. And so not surprising in Americans, it's been found to be in over 90% of us. Um, it's probably a reflection worldwide of how prevalent it is in everyone. But, um, and BPA has been associated with obesity, breast cancer, cardiovascular disease, precocious puberty, and more. For your listeners who really wanna read more about the science, the World Health Organization and the United Nations Environment Program released an excellent, excellent report in 2012 or 2013, and that can be found online, but it, it's an excellent report that is a result of a collaboration of scientists around the world, but they talk about what they have found on um, the health risks posed by endocrine disrupting chemicals. But the good news is, and this is an example of how empowering it can be to learn more about this topic, BPA can leave your body in about five hours. And there are other chemicals that can be flushed out in hours, like days or um, weeks or months. But, 
And so even though there are a lot more BPA-free products, um, some of them have been found to cause at least as much hormone disruption or more. So it's just risky to use plastics. And it's impossible to be plastic-free. But again, just notice all the plastic in your home and your day-to-day and wonder what are you happy to get rid of? What are you happy to phase out of your life? And really great replacements are using, in terms of food, using glass uh, and stainless steel food and beverage containers. So, it, and you know... Sophia, can I ask you a quick question on... on- on plastic, sorry, just but yeah. interrupts. Um, just what what's the impact of, of plastic um, or, or foods that are stored in plastic in supermarkets? Is that because um, that's often something where, where people go to the supermarket, they're just picking up vegetables and that sort of thing, which have been sat in plastic. Is that is that something which we need to be aware of? People should know that that's I can't say it's all plastics, but enough plastics have been found to contain hormone-disrupting chemicals, whether it's BPA or phthalates, um, a popular BPA substitute was BPS, um, and there are probably more that have been found to leach into the food and beverages over time. So the longer the food or beverage has been touching the plastic, the higher the concentrations of, let's just say, phthalates, for example. And... um would would I be right in thinking that, you know, coming inside with where you were talking about the research and Tim mentioned as well, the fact that it can take a long time for this stuff to sort of come out, that the company in, in, I don't know, the companies or within certain industries, there is a case of um, they're not going to be told or to stop using certain products or chemicals until it's been proven that it's actually really quite harmful and that might be 10 years after we've all been consuming it for that amount of time. Is that, is that, is that sometimes the case? That is often the case in the United States. Um, it's often, we have a history in the United States of actually litigation forcing regulatory change and it, and all the scientific evidence being presented in front of, a judge in court or a jury to to consider the science before an industry will be regulated. And the most well-known first cases is the tobacco industry. The evidence of harm from smoking cigarettes and inhaling secondhand smoke had existed for decades, but it took decades and litigation for the public to be protected. And other examples are asbestos and lead, Right now in the United States, there are two lawsuits filed against the FCC to update its standards on wireless radiation. The science is also very strong. So in the United States, we do have a reactionary approach to these environmental exposures. In Europe, I think it's more uh, proactive and precautionary. Cool. So yeah, you, so you had fragrances, plastics. I think you said there was six big hitters. Yes, fragrance, plastic, and diet is actually a major source of exposure. So just learning a little more about how to make safer choices can be really impactful. So again, we talked about what touches your food, but generally, if you can minimize prepackaged foods then that will reduce your exposures too. Because yeah. besides the, the containers, there are also like the like packaging materials around like a power bar or, um, you know, I don't know, uh, chips or something. But the inner lining of those packaging materials often have chemicals that can get into your food. So, of course, like... Is it like that with tins? They tinned food. I haven't looked into tin, but I have just inherently been nervous about it. So I avoid it. Um, You know, I just did a deep dive into stainless steel. It was shockingly complicated. Um, Because again, like I, I think, I think it helps to think about all the ways you can make a chocolate chip cookie. There's some really 
healthy chocolate chip cookies made out of white processed sugar, white processed flour. But now there are paleo recipes where it's kind of healthy, you know, coconut flour, almond flour, and like coconut sugar. Um, so it's the same idea with plastics and stainless steel. And I just did a deep dive on glass, but probably with tin too. There's so many different recipes that can be used. How safe something is depends on the ingredients that are used. Yeah. So we talked about plastics, fragrance, minimize prepackaged foods. Um, fourth, eat organic as much as you can, and you can prioritize um, to be for your budget. The Environmental Working Group has an excellent list that is uh, updated every year. It's called the Dirty Dozen and Clean 15. And so the Dirty yeah. Dozen will list the top, I think, yeah, top 12 uh, vegetables that have been found to have the highest amount of pesticides. So if you can't buy everything organic, then definitely try and avoid the most polluted or contaminated vegetables on the Dirty Dozen. And then there's a Clean 15, which ranks the, um, the cleanest in terms of pesticides, vegetables, and probably fruit for both yeah. these categories. But I think our... Um we we have a Michelle who Manking who's our nutritionist dietitian uh, put together our uh, nutrition program and her, she talked about uh, that in in and also relating the fact that if it's a fruit or vegetable that you eat the entire thing compared to if it's something like um, an avocado where you you know you you're taking out the stuff from the outside you've got a little bit of protection when you're not eating the eating the skin as well so if people are trying to think of just cost saving and wise of um not being able to buy everything organic then they go for the things where it's like a mushroom you're going to eat all of it is that is that sort of fair to say as a bit of a guideline for people that's that's a great point yeah so examples of what tends to be on the dirty dozen are strawberries and grapes mm. uh, so it makes sense that if they're sprayed with pesticides they'll they'll absorb more of it and ha you'll consume more of it because you're eating the skin whereas avocado yeah. is probably among the clean 15. And, you know, one study found that um, uh, it was published in a peer-reviewed journal, the Environmental Research Journal, but it found that uh, families that ate a 100% organic diet over six days reduced their exposure to four classes of pesticides by an average of 60%. So it's never too late. And mm. Um, over time, as you incorporate more and more of these, these like mindfulness choices, the lower your exposures and and the lower your body burden is likely to be. Cool. What was the what was the end of that list then of the six? Okay. So um, next is generally this this pillar of health and the research I've done just underlined another reason to have a more plant based diet. Some of these chemicals, like I mentioned, the pops, they're so persistent, they and some of them like fat. So they settle in fat and bioaccumulate up the food chain. So things higher on the food chain, like meat, dairy products, they tend to have higher concentrations of these persistent organic pollutants. And so it's just another reason to have those things high on the food chain be something you have occasionally and, you know, balance, try and increase the portion of your diet that is plant-based. Great. We've talked about a fair bit of that before, which is um, nothing new to our, our listeners. Even if people are meat eaters, I think that idea of shifting mm. towards having a greater percentage of, of, um, of foods or plants in your diet. And, and one of the interesting ones that we had a conversation back uh, with Dr. Sally Bell and, um, Peter from Piper's Farmers yes. around just if you're going to eat meat, buy it from sustainable regenerative farms where it's, it's being grown and, and and farmed in the naturalist way possible, that the, the historical way, rather than sort of mass produced as often a lot of the stuff that comes through supermarkets now is. Yeah, I think over time, as you learn more about this pillar of health and you make your changes, you'll naturally become much more curious about what you're eating, how it was farmed and manufactured um, but 
uh, that's sort of like a lifelong process to like curate what you eat. Yeah. Um, can I, can I ask then, but can we, like, I'm quite keen to jump into some, uh, some more, what I'd think of as like juicy stuff or challenging things, things you, you mentioned like Wi-Fi, think about Wi-Fi, EMFs, um, other things that I think I find interesting of going, um, what chemicals have we got in our mattress that we're lying on every day in our bed, like fire retardant stuff on our, on our sofas and things. And potentially, I don't want to get to the point where I feel like at the end of this, I have to just like get rid of all the carpets, get rid of my bed and get rid of everything in my house. But um, I'm up for up for having a bit of a juicy conversation around some of the more challenging aspects. Sure. I um, I guess we'll start with with uh, mattresses and carpets before going to Wi-Fi. Um, yeah. So generally, the things that so it was hard for me to understand the risks from like a crib mattress, but I had come, I had accidentally come across things in my reading that a crib mattress could increase the risk of SIDS in babies, sudden infant death syndrome. And that's an incredibly upsetting thing for a parent of a newborn to read about. Uh, there was one report that felt helpful. It was It was published for New York state. I think it's called, the, the mattress matters or something like that. But um, it just summarized the findings of scientists who were trying to understand the toxic fumes from crib mattresses. And as I was trying to figure out what's a rational level of concern, what's a rational approach, and I was convinced to buy an organic mattress, I then had so many options as a consumer and knowing that there's greenwashing, I didn't really know which product was the best use of my money, I ended up dissecting a mattress and not literally, but just there's better research on the components that create our mattresses. And they generally, um, especially for a crib mattress, consist of vinyl, which is also commonly used in the home for various things. Polyurethane foam, also commonly found not just mattresses, but also cushioning material and sofas and chairs and rugs and many children's products like nursing pillows and uh, chemical flame retardants are yeah. needed because the foam, the polyurethane foam is really flammable and the chemical flame retardants do not stay in the products. They do get released into the air and dust. And Researchers who study the chemical flame retardants, the, the best tip they have is wash your hands often, definitely before you eat. Um, so, and then I've learned about the fabrics, the textiles that wrap either your mattress or your sofa and other upholstered furniture. And they also create your curtains and, and so many things. So I understood, I was diving into Final foam, uh, chemical treatments on fabrics, the fabrics themselves and the dyes and glues that adhere these things together. And I realized these are common denominators found among many things in our home. And that helped me to really more quickly strategize what I want to buy, what I don't want to buy, what I want to edit out of my home. And so... A to Z of detoxing explains all of that in much more detail. And again, all the best science I could find at the time is cited. But that um, yeah. that understanding those materials really can help you with many things in your home. And I guess I'll pause before I go on to Wi-Fi. Unless you <laughs> yeah. go on to Wi-Fi. Go on, go straight into Wi-Fi. Let's um, let's let's uh, let's hear about okay. that. Okay. So there's a really strong growing body of science on the risks from our like low levels of exposure from things like our cell phones, our laptops, Wi-Fi routers, common things we all use. And if you just pause to think about the fact that the iPhone was released in 2007 and how many more wireless products have been released since 2007 our homes are surrounded by more wireless energy or radiation than ever before in humankind. And there are 
Um, the bio initiative report is an excellent resource that people want to learn more about what scientists have found. And I don't remember how many scientists from around the world have contributed to this report, but it's many. And also... I'll get the link so we can put that in the show notes. Of great. You. And another yeah. great res uh, resource for the science is the Environmental Health Trust. And they are, it's led by Dr. Deborah Davis, who's a really renowned scientist. And she, you know, this nonprofit really consolidates a lot of the latest science. And they, uh, Deborah Davis uh, and the Environmental Health Trust, and also one of the chief editors of the Bioinitiative Report, those two are, are involved in two separate lawsuits against the FCC saying the science is really strong. You need to update your standards. So, um, you know, there, what happens to us, our health and well-being is a result of the interplay between our genes and our environmental factors. And so wireless radiation can maybe weaken the membranes in your in your body or the blood it's being studied whether and I don't know if it's proven yet but it might you know cell phone use next to your having your cell phone next to your brain may weaken the blood brain barrier and therefore make your brain more at risk of the toxic compounds in your blood the blood brain barrier is this barrier that protects your brain from compounds in in um, I don't know toxic compounds. And so that's just one example of how this is complicated because it really, it's how uh, the, it's the interplay. And there's this myth that genes just determine your destiny, but a lot of scientists have found that that's just not true. Like there are, I have more examples in my book, but um, like one example is uh, one organization released a statement saying that eight 85% of disease is from environmental factors. So there's a lot we can do to protect ourselves and wireless radiation has been found to undermine sleep quality if you're sleeping next to your cell phone. So it's super high impact to focus on your sleep. And uh, I've organized all the easy tips someone can do to reduce their exposures from their technology in my latest workbook, EMF Detox Workbook. And at the end, the last section focuses on what you can do to protect your sleep quality. So make sure any wireless devices, the Wi-Fi is turned off. I mean, most people don't need it to be on. Some people might need it for their work or maybe they have like an elderly parent that needs to get in touch and there's no other way. If that's the case, the radiation dissipates with distance. So try and keep it as far from the bedroom as possible, maybe like on a dresser across from where you sleep. But just examining more what, what your sleep area is like and also plugged in things like a lamp. Um, they can create a magnetic field, <clears throat> excuse me, that can also <clears throat> undermine your sleep quality. So there are a lot more simple things like that that can really empower the quality of your sleep, which is when you recover and restore and your brilliant body does what it's designed to do. Sophia, that's great. Thank you so much for, for coming on and spending some time with us to, to sort of share your, your research and, and explorations this area. I'm sure there'll be some people who are, are listening who will, might be quite new to it, but there's definitely some of our audience who will be sort of on board with some of these health practices already. And hopefully some of this is, stuff isn't a big step forwards. And, and I guess it's, as you said right at the beginning, that it's... Um, it's accepting that we can't avoid all of it, but it's taking measures to control what we can control um, to, to help us to sort of avoid some of this toxicity that we, we are sort of exposed to, which is often outside of, of, of our decision or our, our choice to, to do so. So thank you so much for that. Yeah, I think that the um, one of the really encouraging things that you, is actually that you said at the end there around um, sort of scientists saying that like 85% of, of things comes down to like our, our, the environment that we're in and the great news about that is that we're in control of those things so 
Uh, it might take a little bit more effort and it might take a little bit more of your own little sort of digging around and research of the things that you want to try and try and improve, whether it was some of those fragrances, whether it was something to do in your diet or trying to be a bit more organic or turning your Wi-Fi off at night or putting your phone on airplane mode when you're not using it, whatever it may be, but things that you can do that are simple that are going to improve the environment that you're in and, and, and you know ultimately give you less um exposure to some of these uh, some of these toxins where can um i'll put some of these links in the show notes there's a couple of reports you mentioned i'll make sure they're in um where can people uh sophia find out about you and we'll put links in for that as well like website i know you've got a great podcast you've got your book uh, just give people a heads up probably the best way is just to sign up for my newsletter because i do have various uh free resources and books as you said but you can just yeah. text six six 866, um, write the word detox, D-E-T-O-X, and that will automatically add you to my newsletter. I don't know if that works differently from outside the United States. Wow, that's that's uh, that sounds that we need, I need to talk to you about. How do we manage to set that up? What, what about uh, your website, ruanliving.com? Uh, is that right? My educational hub, yeah, ruanliving.com is one, but try nontoxicliving.tips. Okay. We'll put the links in the show notes for them. And then where can they find you on social if they've got any questions? Do you on social media-wise? Yes, I'm more active on Instagram. You can follow me at Ruan Living, R-U-A-N-L-I-V-I-N-G. Yeah, so give go everyone's on Instagram these days, aren't you? So uh, go over, head over to Instagram as well. Give her give her a follow, and if you have any questions, I'm sure Sophia will be happy for you to drop her a message and be able to to help answer any of those. I'd love to hear from you. Fantastic. Well, Sophia, thank you again, and um, yeah, all the best with everything moving forward, and we look forward to seeing more of your work. Great. Thanks so much for having me. So, Tim, that was Sophia Ruan Goucher, who I pronounced correctly. That was my, that was the, the, the one win I think that I that I had. Um, talking about toxicity, some of the take homes um, from you. We just came off air, and we were sort of we were discussing a couple of things of going, um, not losing our minds too much, and then like, where do we draw the line, and where do we find that? What do you take from it? Yeah, I think one thing for me about this is the point that she made about taking a reactionary versus a precautionary approach. And mm. I, I am happy to, to to hear that I live in part of the world which is more on the precautionary than the reactive side of that conversation. Um, so I think that's that for one is like from good from a, from a national perspective, but then also just from a personal perspective of we might not have tons and tons of research of this sort of stuff just yet. But there is certainly some stuff which makes sense. Like I always look at what the amount of plastic we, we actually we buy our food intentionally from a green grocer now. So, but Corin she did an online shop recently, COVID times and whatever, and she she took all the stuff and the plastic and then piled it up on the floor, and you could see how much was 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 just from the fruit and vegetable that we bought yeah. versus what comes back from the green grocers, which is no plastic, or maybe just the spinach comes in plastic or something like that. Um, so I think there is some stuff there that, that hopefully a lot of that doesn't come as an absolute sort of bombshell for people I mean it's the, the further down this sort of line of inquiry you go just like with anything you can start to become uh, more aware of more things but um, there's some really really easy wins there and I think you know what it kind of goes with living a healthy life if we start taking out plastics we start thinking about where our food comes from we start thinking about trying to make like better food choices um, the fragrance was a bit of an interesting one that, um, that a lot of people might sort of have not have heard of before but I don't know, you go, if you're in that sort of mindset of where you're listening to our podcast and you're probably sort of on board with a lot of this sort of stuff anyway um, and it's just maybe going down and thinking well what else do I want to add to that but I, I do want to just sort of she did win one point which is my last one that I'll make is just she says you can't avoid it entirely there is, there's no way like so for example my, my, the thought that I went through my mind of you said about not buying tins and I was thinking what do I buy in tins and like, we won't get kidney beans in tins for example we could buy kidney beans in a packet instead which have been in plastic mm. and you, you start to trace it back and it becomes yeah. quite a challenge then to kind of go what, what risk do I want to take effectively and where do I yeah. think I can get some wins and, and then you make your own decisions and yeah I think I, I just would encourage people to kind of be quite pragmatic about it yeah, I mean, like I said towards the end, there, like I f think that it's encouraging that you there is so much actually inside of your control, and therefore just that you are able to make yourself more informed to be able to then make better ideas rather than being blissfully unaware that something might be actually harmful to you. And and for me, I sort of think of it around you said like 
with our in terms of our health I often like think straight away to sort of like nutrition and food um, and you know I would look if I was going to buy something in a packet you know most of the time trying not to buy in a packet as she said from and that would be rather than from a toxic toxic nature of the plastic that packaging it's in it's also the fact that it would be more so from my decision would be rather that it's i don't want like processed foods um as part of as part of my diet but if i was to buy something in a packet i would look on the back of it to look at what the ingredients are in because i know i want to know what's going in and taking that same approach for me is that mindset taking that same approach to other things that are potentially gonna are gonna come into contact with me so like she said with the, with the shower gel was or the shampoo or whatever is an example like those things also have an ingredients list on the back of it um we know we, we've talked about epsom salts coming um you know uh coming into the into the body through sort of like soaking so we know that those things we place on and rub on our skins are going to do the same thing. So why, when the ingredients are there in front of us, why wouldn't we look at those and why wouldn't we make a decision? Are you happy with all those things going into into your body or or not? And then it's then it's down to you. But at least you're making then an informed decision about that. Um, you know, the the my final one is on just like the Wi-Fi is interesting. We've talking about this before a little bit. We've just got into the habit of turning it off at night, and it's one of those things where you go like, well, if it is or it isn't damaging me doesn't make any difference whether i turn it off at night it's it's no sort of pain to me i don't i don't need to have it on um whilst we're asleep equally my uh, i live in a semi-detached house and my neighbor i need to speak to him and go but getting his off at night because basically this is probably going to be answered but it's like what's in my control and what's not step next stage is living in a detached house away from nobody don't really don't sleep on a mattress and have no carpets all, all that jazz that's where i'm going that's where i'm going to live in a tent. forest Forest is apparently yeah, the healthiest place to live. Forest. Yeah, Pete, apparently it's called like, uh, is it tree bathing or forest bathing? You just go and like, just hang out in the forest because it's just good for you. I genuinely want to live in the Robin forest. Robin Hood. Currently I live in a townhouse yeah. with Wi-Fi on both sides. So, yeah. you, you uh, that, Let's leave it there, Jacka, because this could go on for a long time of, the, of sort of starting to analyse how, how we can try <laughs> yes. to, but ultimately what you can't avoid. Well, I hope that's been an interesting it's listen and, and brought some enlightenment to your to your world of, of sort of thinking about how you can kind of improve your health and well-being and, and these are hopefully some stuff in there if, you, if this floats your boat that you can go and start to implement pretty easily should we sign off let's do that so until next time keep exploring your physical potential with movement strength and play